Hello and welcome back to the Red Sector GP podcast. I'm your host, Bono GP, joined as always by my co-host, Elisa, who you can follow on Twitter at Elisa Vida and myself at Bono GP underscore. This week, we are back with another race review of the Japanese Grand Prix at Mategi. Elisa, how are you? And give us your out of 10 rating for an all-around weekend of the Japanese Grand Prix. I just barely got in my sleep under, under control after having probably two hours of sleep before before the Sunday's race. But I think overall, it was worth it. I think the experience, the weekend or the racing, I'd say like an eight out of 10. Not the, be- not the best weekend, but I think a solidly good. It's gone up in, in regard of your typical rating is normally quite, not pessimistic, but almost underwhelming ra- ranking of uh, the full weekend. But we did have a mixture, didn't we? We had a mixture of uh, of weather. We had fireworks in Moto3 as normal. Um, which we'll get into in a minute, which does bring us on to our typical standard procedure of starting off with any MotoGP news, which basically is Ayuma Sasaki has been announced at the Yamaha Master Camp team for next year, moving on up to Moto2. Thoughts on the move? Do you think that's probably the best that he was offered? Or do you think maybe his ties with with Yamaha being Japanese? I don't know. What, what's What's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing for sure. I guess most of the Moto2 seats were already occupied, so it's not giving him any better chances in that sense. But I think Sasaki is a talented rider, so he probably could have gotten in a in a different economy a better seat uh, to start off with in Moto2. But I think I don't think it's a bad team. We have seen some some good results, and as you said, with the Yamaha connection, that's a possibly a good good signing in that sense so if if, if Yamaha are looking to maybe maybe sign a Japanese rider I don't think we have seen that kind of interest in any other manufacturer out, outside of Honda but I don't think it's a bad one but I, I'm a bit curious because I would have guessed that he maybe could have gotten like a, a bit better seat yeah I mean in, not to delve too far into the Japanese riders and Honda connection but we actually have seen in the last maybe four years or so a lot of Japanese riders that have been brought through the HRC factory of riders, if you like, um, leave for KTM in the past. Obviously, we've had a Yuma Sasaki on a Husqvarna. Kaita Toba in the past went and jumped ship to KTM. We've had a fair few examples of Japanese riders giving up that Honda loyalty to move to European manufacturers or, in this instance, to Yamaha. And I know it's not a set factory ride within Yamaha's corporation of, you know, factory riders in MotoGP, but to be tied along with another Japanese manufacturer when you've been brought through another one is, in small terms in politics, interesting, I would say. Um, we've obviously seen Ayagora. He's, he's split his ties with Honda Team Asia and been announced at the MT Helmets team with Sergio Garcia, um, which isn't breaking news. Obviously, that came out last week or the week before, I believe. But my point being is, it's interesting to see a rider that we had almost fixed on due to replace Nakagami, and who knows, he might do in the near future. But you feel like cutting ties with Honda Team Asia, who are associated with that Japanese spot, it almost seems to be, in the LCR team, would have been Ayagora's, and now he's moved. Do you think that that kind of ruins his chances, or do you think that's... Because I've heard from various sources that he wasn't really seeing eye to eye with everyone at Honda Team Asia. There was a couple of people that weren't really... The relationship had kind of broken down a little bit with Ayagora, which, upon on top of the injury, 
could explain his dip in form over the past 12 months. Um, so yeah, what, what's what's your thoughts on that? Obviously, I, I think from a Japanese politics point of view, that's quite a big deal for Ayagora, who is Japan's next hope in Grand Prix racing, making a big move away from his ties with Honda. So what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I can't remember if I dreamed this up, but I think I remember seeing something along the lines that HRC or Honda will continue to sponsor him in in his next team. So it it, it even if it's uh, in in a big way, it seems like him cutting his ties. I think it's it's more as you said due to the team. I think the team environment mm. and the fact that he doesn't get along with that. And if if it's true that the HRC are go, going to continue to sponsor him, I think that that still remains a link between overall the Honda Corporation and the fact. So I don't think... At first, when I heard the news, I thought, well, you know, now, now the GP chance with Honda is gone. But I think given the fact if the, if the sponsorship continues and the relationship continues, I don't see why it isn't isn't a possibility. And I, I see Honda could be supporting him in the sense of saying, well, you know, you can go win a title and then come back to us, you know. We, we don't care at all. Or like it, it from a Honda point of view, it seems like they still want to keep him around. So it, there, there doesn't seem to be that much bad blood in that sense. But it's it's interesting because he's still been he, he's been with that team a whole long time, hasn't he? Yeah, so. obviously came through with with them at Moto three level as well. I think it's more yeah. If HRC carry on sponsoring him, and like I said, that there is a discrepancy between Honda team agent and the Idemitsu LCR spot. It's not It's not like it's set on as the same team, but being as though it's Honda's main team in Moto2 and it being ran by the Japanese and it being very well tied in with Honda, it, what I'm saying is, is politically, you know where I'm coming from on it, it, it doesn't look great on the outside to the, the outside of Japanese fans looking at that from a Honda point of view, thinking, he's our main guy, why would you get rid of him? Do you know what I mean? Because if... If Agora wanted to wanted to stay, that they would have, you know, HRC would have fixed that contract up straight away. And I think it's been quite well publicised that Hiroshi Ayama is a bit strict and a bit, you know, what's the right word? It, rather than saying blunt, he, he's very hard on on their riders. Albeit that's maybe a gain in some respects, but. Maybe it's worn down on Ayagora coming back from an injury and expecting to be fighting back at the top again. I'm not sure. I'm not putting the blame on Ayama, but you, you, you don't really know, I suppose, until it's completely put out there. But obviously, like I say, Agora is moving on. That is that is set in stone and it's signed and sealed. He's going to the MT Helmets team, which I do think, albeit a new team, with Sergio Garcia, who I have massively loved this year. I think he's been brilliant. I think in all conditions this year, he's continued to grow and become such a well-adapted rider to a bike that again he is new to in complete different conditions is so good for his experience I think him and Garcia if the bike and the team are have got their package right I think they can be a real real threat next year I really do um, so who knows with that team but in regards to news that's basically it we'll, we'll touch on the Pedro Acosta saga as we always tend to do and the Mark Marquez saga as we always always tend to do as we get to those classes but as we normally would do we'll start it off with Moto3 which was in fine Moto3 fashion plenty of fireworks plenty of crashes and a final finishing order of Masia 
getting the race win with Ayumu Sasaki in second, pipping Danny Holgado to the line by basically half of a hundredth of a second. Um, it, it was so, so tired towards the end, and a little mistake coming out the last corner of Holgado cost him P2. Um, thoughts on this race as a whole? We obviously had Dennis Onchu crashing out, who I think kind of made his own bed in that respect for losing the championship. I think now Dennis has got to have a lot of fortune going into the last six races to... Um, is it six or eight, seven? I can't remember how many seven. we've got left now. Seven. Seven, I think. Um, I think he's got to have a lot of luck go his way to really gain anything from this championship in terms of fighting for it. But those front three, I mean, pfft, there's no question that if, if Alonso, again, I think obviously he's he's close in the championship terms, isn't he, than, than Onchu and the talent that Alonso has. I think he's still in the question. But they are really putting a marker down, aren't they, these three? Yeah, definitely. I think I think you saw it. Uh, with the race at the championship itself, It I, I think it kind of went away because they were quite a close group. But then Anju started making questionable moves. Um, I think, in a race strategy perspective, I think that was not the sm- smartest time to make, make a, try to make a make the difference and try to try to over, overtake people and then he you know crashed out which i have to say in his defense this is his first dnf since 2021 so True. it's not like he crashes out a lot i think his problem is more, more the lack of lack of speed in some cases but again it's still a big dnf and i think you you saw the they always do the live championship right next to it and you saw it when dennis was winning the race i was like oh well if it finished like that it would be like 22 points out but then you realize that after he crashed out, it's like 50 points. And I think, you know, I like the guy. He's not that good. <laughs> He's not going to not gonna claw back that kind of advantage to three riders plus Alonso closer than him without like a massive third one pile up or something like that. I don't, yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. But I think, you know, maybe, maybe this helps, you know, in the sense that he can go to some kind of like a, Peko last year mode when he just thinks about winning winning races and you know he knows he already knows what's his, what he's going to do next year he knows he's going after Moto2 in a good team so I think the only focus should be well you know I can just win or like do my best and I don't have to worry about the championship and if it if it comes to be then it comes to be but, but I think it's just maybe for the better but yeah the top three I think have broken out I think Alonso is really good but I think he's still a bit far back to be really in that talk now yeah, I think in regard to what you said, I think he is good enough to still compete for the championship. I just think when you've got three riders to compete against, if it was a straight 50-point gap and it was first and second, you never know. Someone could crash out, you win a race, 25 points, you're sorted, you're back in it. But when you're fighting against four other riders that are all within, you know two or three positions in a race away from a championship and you need all of those to have bad weekends in the next... Don't get me wrong, I think all of those riders, this is maybe a bold statement, but not really, I think all of those riders will have a bad race out of the next seven. I think they will. I think Sasaki, Messia, Olgado, as good as they are, and Alonso, maybe you could argue that his race result this weekend granted, was better than what it looked like it was going to end up being. 
But I think in Moto3, you would be so naive to say that they're all going to get top three for the next three races, uh, next seven races, sorry. Um, you never really know. It, 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 it's not always in your hands. And this one was in Dennis's hands. So I think that more than anything, you can never count it out every weekend. You could get wiped out every single race weekend and it not be your fault in Moto3. That's just how it runs. But in weekends where it is in your hands... That's the difference maker between Dennis not winning this championship and him fighting for it. And like you say, I think it is just a case of now going out and just concentrating on each race at a time and see where it takes you. If he doesn't win the championship, like you say, he's set on for next year and he's got a great ride next year with with the IO squad in Moto2. And if you can go out, let's say win two of the next seven races and get a few few podiums with that, I think he can still hold his head up high and say, you know what, even if I didn't win the championship, he's got his first few race wins under his belt, he's got podium experience fighting at the front, and he can take all of that up into Moto2 next year and it, it not be a bad year. I don't think this is make or break of Dennis Onchu. Um, and I don't want to make it all about Dennis Onchu, really, because the other three did ride spectacularly well. I think Sasaki felt, and I would agree with him if he did feel like this, that if it wasn't for Onchu, he could have fought for that race win. Um... Masia had a great pace out front, but with the, the fighting of Onchu, Sasaki, Elgado, it just disrupted the pace completely. And by the time that that tyre had dropped off, the race was almost over, wasn't it? Um, Masia, like I say, credit where it's due, did ride brilliantly well and is on great form. I, I, I never really want to jinx Masia. We said it at the start of the year, didn't we, that we always, with Masia, it's like a Vignales tree. It's like the minute you trust him, the minute he throws it down the road. But credit where it's due... These last few races, Messiah has really turned it up a notch. And I think even minus the result, his general demeanour and his, his qualifying, so he's all the way from Friday through to Sunday, Messiah looks like a more complete rider at the minute than what he did at the beginning of the year. He had some great results at the start of the year. But what my point is, is he doesn't look like what we see in Messiah before, where he might come through on a Sunday, get his elbows out, Oh, and he's crashed. It's like every weekend now, he sets the marker on Friday. He gets to Saturday, he's top two rows, if not on pole, if not front row or whatever. And on Sunday, he's always in that front group. Do you think this is it now? Do you think the Messiah that we, we know is in there can get it over the line? I think he's definitely the rider on form, as you say. It's it's We have been you know giving him sticks for not, not not keeping it up 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 previous years, and I think he can be criticized for that. But, but as you said, he has stepped up a lot, and I think this is probably the best form we have seen of him, like ever in in Moto three. And I think definitely he's my favorite at this hour. You know, obviously seven races is a lot of time to go. You know, the momentum can shift. I think Sasaki can. I think a win for him can do a lot. And I think Sasaki's testament is that he's second in the championship without having won a single race. So he's been been there. But still, I think Masia is currently the title favorite for me. I think, you know, Sasaki hasn't won a race and Holgado is... He has not looked the same as he was in the beginning of the year. So I think it's 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 more wa- wavering. I don't have as much trust in Holgado as I have in someone like, uh, someone like Masia. And I think, yeah. Yeah, I think experience Messia, you know, that does play play a part for sure. But you know what? I do 
this this is an outsider a shout, but I think in my order of people I think will win this championship, I think Holgado will win it. I think he's got this... He's, he's, he's gone through a dip, but we're comparing that as a dip when you look at the beginning of the season. I think he just needs that one result, and I think he'll click straight back into his old self. I mean, we saw blips of it in Mategi where... He just sat back. He almost had like what Alonso's shown all year. I remember Magello um, with with Alonso and Silverstone, where just sits in that pack, lets it all happen. And unfortunately for Holgado, Onchu kind of played a big part in that not working out for him. But Holgado, in every instance when he's on form, looks like the most eagerly like anticipated guy to go. I am going to grab this by the bull of the horns. And take it where I want to go. Messiah, when he's out front and he can do his own pace, fantastic. But I, I, the only thing with Messiah is, is when people start ruffling his feathers, how will he react? And that's what's done Messiah in the past, is when people have been in and around him and people put a rough move on him, I think he, he tries too hard to gain it all back at once. And Holgado has just been so measured when that's happened to him, it gives me a little bit of what Mir was like when people got in front of him, Martin the same in Moto3. When people got in front of him, straight back, nothing rash, but harsh enough to say, that's my position. Do you know what I mean? Like, this this is my championship to win. And that was Holgado on the last lap of this race. Made a slight mistake coming out of the last corner. But no one thought Holgado was going to challenge for P2 going into that that last sector. Puts a move on Sasaki. And Sasaki didn't fight back because he couldn't. He'd been done. It was only for the fact that Holgado made a slight mistake that he got that position back. So I think Holgado is my main pick. My second pick is actually Alonso. And the reason I say that is because he has nothing to lose. When Macias had something to lose in the past, he has lost it. Sasaki has not won a race yet. That's what worries me, is Alonso knows he can win, and when he's got the pace, which he has most weekends, he does win. And a rider so smart, so young, and nothing to lose is a dangerous rider to be around. Um, the only thing that worries me with Alonso is there's a lot of tracks he's not been to yet, Mategi obviously being one of them, and you could say, well, he didn't really do very well because he finished P7. But P7 for a rider that's never been to a track before is bloody good. Um, so I trust Alonso. I really do. Um, and then third is Messier and fourth is Sasaki. I, look, they're all brilliant riders and it could be any one of those four. It could still be Onchu, you never know. But that's my ranking order of who I think it's going to be. Um, shout out to a good few riders as well. The um, MTA team had a fantastic result in P4 and P5 with Nepper and Altola respectively. We had David Munoz in P6, Alonso, as I mentioned, P7, Kaita Tober at home, finishing P8 with his um, with his Japanese companion in P9 with Yamanaka, and Jose Rueda making up the top 10 with, again, a rider that's not been there before. So I think he's somebody to look out for next year, along with Colin Vaya, who finished just behind him. Um, rider of the day for you, Elisa, who's your, who's your shout? I think... Ooh, this is hard. There's a lot of good performances. I mean, for Matt, he has picked Stefano Nepo, which, again, I've not really touched on him too much, but 
as I've just mentioned, P4 for Stefano Nepa, fantastic result. And kind of been outshone, I think, by Otola this year. Obviously, Otola's won a couple of Grand Prix and kind of been outperformed by him, but he ran very well with Otola and actually managed to get the better of him in the end. So Matt's pick is Stefano Nepa. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to complete the team. I'm going to say Ortola. I think I think the f- f- fifth place is a good result in, in that. And I think more more so because of the team. I think for a team like that, it's it's great to have that sort of result. Yeah, if it was picking my surprise rider of the day for the alternative reason, I would pick Marrera. I don't understand what it is with Diego Marrera. He, uh, Diego Marrera, should I say. He, he, he tends to... He has this great spark about him at the beginning of a race, and he just seems to fall back every single race at the moment. Yeah, I have um, a question about him. Do you think it's too soon for him to be moving up to Moto2? Because I think... You know what? I, I get the point. I get the question. But I almost feel like if he didn't, he would almost be like what Messia is, where I feel like he would be a nearly man every year. And that's... I don't mean to be disrespectful in saying that, but I feel like when you have such a high reputation and such an expectation from a lot of Grand Prix riders and teams to say he's such a good talent. I feel like it's almost a good time to go to Moto2 and if the bike suits him then everyone kind of forgets about Moto3. Whereas I think if he has another year in Moto3 and he doesn't compete week in, week out I think his stock value drops. So I think they've they've kind of you know they've, they've gone with a mentality of strike while the iron is hot. So good team in Moto2 with it trans fantastic team and if he can make it work then it looks all well and good if it doesn't they've not really lost anything so that's my opinion on it anyway but i i completely get questioning that um when you look at the guy behind him joel kelso who's out of a ride full stop so yeah it's a completely fair point um rider of the day though it is tough it is really tough you know what I'm going to go with Danny Holgado um, because I think with the expectation he's had on his shoulders recently, being the championship leader of the past, I think it's quite easy to look at him every weekend and say, why is he not winning races? He's had a a couple of tough, I can't even get my words out, a couple of tough races um, coming back from the summer break and seeing Messia up front week in, week out mentally is a challenging thing to come across when you've got such a lead and then it'd be whittled down to now Messiah leading the championship. I think P3 in all, you know, everything taken into context, I think is a good result. So I'll give it Danny Holgado for my rider of the day, which completes all three of our riders of the day for us. Moving on to Moto2, as I mentioned, where Yumi Sasaki will be going next year and confirmed in the Master Camp Yamaha team. We have a race result of a 1-2 with the Honda Team Asia team with Somkiat Chantra taking the checkered flag. Ayagora in P2 and our standard practice of what is Max Verstappen in F1 being in the top three is Pedro Acosta rounding up the podium with Jake Dixon in P4. So, Elisa, thoughts on the Moto2 race overall? I mean, obviously, Chantra was, he was just next level all weekend, wasn't he? Topped Friday, topped Saturday on pole and took the race win. He was he was untouchable, wasn't he, really? Yeah, look. I can't remember if I said this out loud, but I'm pretty sure I I did say that Chandra is gonna be good in the flyaways, and I think I think he's gonna be good in his home race. And I, if I remember correctly, this was the race last year that he was leading and crashed out of because it was also a wet race. 
But I think it's and a it was also the race, if you remember, that Ayagora all the way up until the very end was catching the leader. Who who ended up winning that race? I can't remember who. I have who I have no win. clue. Was it August? It was Augusto, I think. I think it was yeah. Augusto Fernandez, and Ayagora was just catching, 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 and ran out of laps. Yeah, I believe. But yeah, sorry, carry on your point. Yeah, I, I agree. What I done, you know, in his home race, dirty by two two years in a row. But yeah, it's it's a good result, I think. I think people have said that this, these kind of stop and go tracks are what what suits Chantra. Definitely, he's been shining in them more than the others. But I, yeah, I, I love the guy. I love that he's he's winning, and I hope I hope he's, he gets some more podiums and, and and good stuff because I just I like him so much. I'm completely wrong. Ayagora did end up winning that race. Did um, he? Yeah, he did. I, I seem to remember that he almost ran out of laps, but you know he didn't. He, he he was catch. I could be wrong in saying this actually, but I think Ayagora was like pushed wide early on or something, and he kind of went through the pack and was just like catch, 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 constantly. That's so. Ignore everything I said um, at the beginning of, of of describing what happened last year because I'm talking out my rear. Yeah, um, only thing I remember was Somcat crashing out because I was so sad because he looked fast. Yeah, Somcat yeah, ended yeah. up getting a P5 in that race. Um, was it so... not that race he crashed out of? What was that? He crashed I out of was... Thailand, if you remember, when uh -huh. it threw it down. That oh, was his yeah. home race he crashed out of. That is... uh -huh. Everyone listening, we do actually watch MotoGP. That, <laughs> that is factual information. He did crash out of Thailand. I don't, I don't need to look that one up. <laughs> He, he definitely one oh, yeah. million percent crashed out of Thailand. That, that makes more sense why why I was so sad because I just remember the emotion, yes. you know. I think yes. I, I don't I, thinking of. Yeah. I, I don't pay attention to the races or the names of corners or stuff like that. I just attached emotion emotions based on how happy I was for some result and how sad <laughs> I was. You know, it's pure vibes only, man. This pure vibes. Yes. Yeah. No. I um. I I do see where you're coming from on that. I I I can remember everybody having a, almost shedding a tear for Somkiat last year because he came into that race with such good form and obviously had won, in Indonesia. You, Indonesia. Think, yes. Yes. Um. Or did he? No. Did he win in Indonesia? Or did he? Yes. Did he... he won in Indonesia. Because yes. Sorry, he did, didn't he? Because that was Celestino Vietti's first time. He didn't win that year. If that that does that sound right? Or am I? Again, yes. completely waffling. I think, I think he finished right. like P2 and it was like, oh, Celestino's not won, but he, he's done well to finish second. But I know Somkiat did win that race. Um, but this is not the Somkiat Chantra podcast. We're not going to completely sit on Somkiat for ages. But albeit, he was fantastic this weekend. I mean, this is one of those exceptions for riders of the day, I think, if you wanted to pick him because he was the rider of the weekend on all three classes, hands down, he was just... I mean, obviously, you could put Jorge Martin up there if you wanted to, but Somikat literally dominated every single session um, and deserved to win that race. And for Honda Team Asia, in your own backyard, on a Honda-owned track, probably done his, his chances very well if he ever wants to get into GP, doing it in front of the head honcho. So, yeah, Pedro Costa P3, championships all well and done now, isn't it? Um... Tony Arbolino coming home in P11. So unless some absolute miracle happens for Tony Arbolino now, I I just cannot see any way in. I don't mean to completely underwhelm the championship, but 50-point lead now Pedro Acosta has. And look, we've spoken about... I, I contradicted myself really earlier in saying with Onchu being a straight 50-point gap, 
But Tony Arbolino's not winning races. He's not, you know, Acosta, you could tell me that it's absolutely set, like, fixed on that in Indonesia next week, that Pedro Acosta will crash. I couldn't put my money on Arbolino winning that race. I couldn't. But if you said to me Arbolino will crash, I don't think Acosta would even flinch anyway. I don't think he sees him as a threat because he knows he's basically already got him beat mentally. Yeah, it's uh, that, that's the thing. I think the, mentally, like, to me, it's, it's shocking how little the points gap is because I think it's yeah. Arbolino has been beat for the better half of the year. And I, and, I, and I believe in Tony and I think he can make a great comeback next year or, or at the end of this year. And I think that will probably, I, I believe in his talents. I don't, I, I think this is mental because I don't think you go from that form to finishing 11th in a race just yeah. by losing some speed. So I think it's, it has to be some, some sort of championship expectation and, uh, and stuff like that. You know, it's also, this is, I think he, he fought for about a three championship, but he didn't win that in the COVID year. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's also Correct. maybe something like you haven't won a championship before, and it's also it's something maybe it's a lot of pressure, isn't it? I mean, obviously he's had his Grassini hopes flattened. Don't forget that yeah. was, you know, if you'd have said to me six months ago who's going to who's going to race for Grassini next year, I would have said, <laughs> well, it's ninety five percent of me says it's going to be Tony Arbolino, and now you ask me at the beginning of October, and I'd say it's maybe five percent. Arbolino, like he, he probably has no chance of riding for Grassini next year. Um, which yeah, the we'll name name to... thrown uh, thrown out about around if if you know the, the Grassini move doesn't happen is Jake Dixon instead of Tony yeah. Arbolino for for that seat. So I think that's I and, mean, and obviously right ready, now ready for Dixon you kind of can't really form. yeah yeah you you can't uh, this is a results based business. You can't sit there now and say Arbolino deserves it because since it's been taken away from him. It's almost like he's buried his head in the sand and given up. Like, yeah. And I don't want to take that away from Arbolino in a sense of thinking, oh, he doesn't try. Like, absolutely not. But when you're racing for a championship, these MotoGP teams are not going to hire you based on the odd result. They want to see that you can challenge and you don't give up and you have that persistence of still churning out good results. Jake Dixon knows internally that this championship is not going to happen. He's still finished P4. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like he's still challenging week in week out at the top. I Arbolino think... is fizzling away. I don't, I don't know, but I think Arbolino is just having a, a Fabio twenty twenty season in his yeah. hands because that, no, that's what it looks like. You know, I, I, maybe it's the friendship connection, but that's that's what it looked like <laughs> from the outside. But to to make the analogy better, I think he can come back next year and win it like Fabio did in twenty one. Yeah. So so I, I do believe in you, Tony. But, no, me yeah. as well. I think I think next year. As much as I'd like to say Jake Dixon, and hey, testing and everything else, you never know. Um, but I think that, honestly, I think Arbolino will be the favourite going into it. And there's a couple of riders that I already have my eye on that I think, compared to this year, will do incredibly well next year. Um, one of them being somebody who crashed out, which was Sergio Garcia. So I jinxed that. Um, looking good, actually. Um, like I said, I think... Honestly, I think Sergio Garcia next year, you will be surprised to not see him within the top five or six, which goes to show how talented he really is. Um, Riders of the day for Moto2. I mean, obviously, we've spoke about certain results and, you know, how how the race was. Obviously, Chantra just led from the front and ran away with it. Um, 
Agora looked good. Pedro Costa looked good. Dixon showed some good good spells of time, but Costa kind of kept, just controlled that completely. There's some really solid results here. I mean, Marcos Ramirez getting American Racing's best result of the season in P7. Fantastic result. I mean, Zonta van der Gerberg, P9. That is another brilliant result off the back of a great result in India. He's picking up some form at the minute. I mean, who's your rider of the day? We've got Gonzalez for Matt, who, again, this year has really picked up his form. I think a P5 is his best result. But P6, once again, he's not showing bad form, is he? So who's your rider of the day, Elisa, and why? Oh, I think I, I want to choose Darren Binder. I think he's, he's, he's come, back, come back from injury. This is not his best result. It's a top 10 just, but I think, you know, um, obviously we have Sergio Garcia being the best rookie out, out there, but I think Darren is still, given, given the injury and the fact that he, he, he's also a rookie, I think that's a good, good result for him. It's, it's a new track in Moto2 for him. Obviously he's raced there in GP and in Moto3, but still. So I think, yeah, I like that. I think he's he's been better in Moto2 than I expected him to be starting off in in, the, in those few results he's gotten. When you compare him to someone like Isaac Guevara, for example. Yeah, that's a rider I did actually want to make a quick point on that um, after this. I do. So Matt's picked um, Gonzalez. I'm going to go with Marcos Ramirez, pure and simply because of having a better result than Zonta van der Gerberg. But Zonta van der Gerberg is my honorary mention of a rider of the day because, honestly, that is so solid. I think he's done a fantastic job the last couple of races. I'm really intrigued to see how he gets on the remainder of the year. But Marcos Ramirez. Someone who's switched teams, obviously, gone back to American racing for the remainder of the season and gave him the best result, as I said, of the year. So P7 for a rider I do think is massively talented um, is is Marcos Ramirez. And yeah, I think he thoroughly deserves a shout for rider of the day. Um, Izan Guevara, I genuinely think next year will be brilliant. I'm, I'm, it sounds ridiculous and people might think I'm crazy for saying it, but Izan Guevara at the beginning of this year was basically dead last and struggled a lot with coming back from injury, obviously, and struggled with the adaptation to the bike. I genuinely think Izan Guevara now slipping into the points and consistently being in and around the points, I think he's just going to get better and better and better with each result. I think by the end of this year, we will see Izan Guevara in the top 10. And I think beginning of next year, when he returns to tracks that he knows tracks that he knows very, very well and had already previous experience on with that Moto2 machine. I genuinely think that Izan Guevara next year, I'm not saying he'll compete for a title, but I think next year Izan Guevara will be within the top five. And that is bold to say about a rider that is, you know, current Moto3 champion, but been nowhere near it. I think he's, honestly, I think him and Garcia are next year's kind of, you know the riders that we typically see in Moto2 where, I mean, obviously Garcia's had a better year than Guevara. That's that's not even up for debate. But you know the riders that you just think, if they get it right, that the next year they'll just up to like, they'll just jump five or ten places. And there's always those types of riders. I mean, Arbolino was one of them. He went up, kind of got to grips with it, and then bang, he was just up in that top five. And he just, you know, boom, straight away. Vietti, he was another one. Whether they go on to be whatever they go on to be, 
I think Guevara and especially Garcia will be that rider. 100%. I think there'll be a question of, can they adapt to it? Are they up to it? Are they going to be able to compete at the front? And I think they're the, both the riders where they're not the typical... A lot of British riders are like this, where they need a result and then they go on from that. I think Guevara and Garcia are so in tune with how well they know they can be and how talented that they are. Like Guevara last year in Moto3, just every week was just like, next one, next one, next one, next one. He was so resilient and the talent that kid has, I think it's undoubted that he'll be up there next year. Bold shout, I might be proven wrong, but I genuinely think that he's got the talent to do it. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad shout, given given the fact that uh, nowadays it's it's been mentioned how... How long these riders spend on Moto 3 and small machinery? So I think it makes the jump up to Moto 2 a bigger step. So I think it's it's even more impressive when a rider can adapt to like on the first year, like someone like Acosta, Garcia yeah. to a certain extent, but or like Raul Fernandez, you know, if you can win in Moto 2 in your first in your first year, I think that's really impressive because it's a, it's a, it's a bigger step up. The machinery is way different from whatever the Moto3 machinery is. So I think I understand in that point, given how well Guevara did in Moto3, I think having had that task on those bikes, I think it's it's just been a bit of a shock to the system to, to be like a fish out of water in that sense in a completely different bike. And with the injury starting off the season, that's not, that's not the best start. And maybe someone did mention a bit about his mentality, but I think... Saying it's been a humbling year is maybe I don't know if it sounds mean, but I think it's it maybe maybe does seem a bit good in that sense to see I that think it, it can go this this way as as well, you know, with yeah. after winning winning that way, and I think you can when you can come back from that, I think it's gonna make you stronger in many ways because I don't think, as you said, talent is the question. You know, we don't know how it's gonna go, but I I don't think you're completely crazy for saying that he he's gonna he can be good next year. Yeah, no, I, I honestly, I rate them both very, very highly. And Garcia's already started to show green shoots of that. And Guevara, I don't know, I, I just, I really do think he's, he's the real deal. I think he's he's capable of fighting up at the top of Moto2. And it's just a question of when and not if. Um, and it will come, it will come with time. It, it takes a, certain people longer. And certain riders you sort of see, with all due respect, you think, yeah, it's not. It's just not going to click. It's not, you know. To, I mean, there's there's a lot of riders that I could name in that bracket. I'm still saying they're massively talented, but I'm talking about a rider that I think can fight for the future and move up towards GP, and it'd be, you know, in that bracket. I think Salach has proven to be one of them riders that people probably didn't have him down as. I think when he's got the right package underneath him and he's the right team around him, I think if he puts it together. He can compete to rate to win races. Whether he goes on to GP, I'm not sure. But I think he's that caliber now. Vietti, when he's got, I think when Vietti is under IO, oh my god, I think that's I think next be year is gonna worrying. be great for Vietti. I think Vietti against Arbolino, against Dixon, against maybe Garcia. You know, the this is a very tasty Moto Two Championship next year, and Agora obviously, um, Chantra. Who knows? Like, there's so much talent in that in that Moto Two squad. Um, it's it's frightening, but we have to uh, commence. We have to move on to Moto GP, which I just want to quickly mention. 
when it acclimatizes quite well with UK time, i.e. it not being 3am um, or, you know, any drastic hours in the middle of the night, we are going to try and do a Instagram live watch along, uh, trying to collaborate with Solomon as I did within, uh, with the Indian Sprint. Maybe me and Elisa can do one, maybe with Renita, who actually suggested the idea. So shout out to Renita. Solomon has had, I think this probably is like his 19th successive mention of of the uh, of of the Red Sector podcast. It's, it's becoming a joke now. Um, and we, we have got to find a way to somehow not mention him. And I, honestly, he is the bane of my life. Um, so... Yeah, we are going to try and do that with the with the sprints. They're good fun, and feel free to join and ask us some questions. We had a good chat with Josh on there, um, talking all things from like the greatest riders to some of the absolute weirdest questions that you could possibly imagine. So feel free to tune into that if we are if we are doing an Instagram live. Hop on into that, and we'll um, we'll be there. So anyway, moving on to the Grand Prix uh, results, we had Jorge Martin finishing in p1 this race was red flagged obviously a lot of you will know that but um it was sh uh, cut short so we had jorge martin in p1 by naya in p2 and marquez in p3 which i can see a firm grin on elisa's face with me reading that out marco bezaki in p4 alicia spargo in p5 um and a few of the other results which we'll get into elisa happy to see mark back i mean i'm, I'm always happy to see mark in any any form <laughs> in, in any you know <laughs> any anything but mostly when he's on, on top of a bike and not crashing into the gravel but you know i'll take what i can get anyway <laughs> yeah i'm i'm very happy to see him on the podium and I, but i think it's it was an interesting race because we I don't think we can criticize the stewards for... I think stewards in this case and race direction did well to end the race when they did end it, uh, red flag it. Uh, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. The stewards yeah. did something right? I mean, this is race direction, so maybe... Maybe a different entity in that sense, but but yeah, I think I think I've seen people talk about how it wasn't the correct place, and I think people are always gonna feel differently about it. I think Oliveira was one of the ones who retired because of of uh, visibility problems. It it I was think. it was far too unsafe to carry on. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I, but just, I... that's my opinion. But it, the the time that it was red flagged and decided, to... it the visibility was poor. The standing water was getting worse, and it was getting dark. It, it was it, it was the right choice, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, and I think they made also made the correct decision to not restart the race, which was again because the conditions hadn't changed from from the beginning. But I mean, it was still a bit of a farce to have them go back and make a warm up lap, and then they just come back. I mean, I think maybe they did it just to have them ride to the park firm, eh? Instead of like walking there from yeah, the pit boxes, I don't know. But uh, but but in any case, I think you know. Obviously, we saw Zarko crash out, and his bike was wrecked. But I think other than that, we survived without major injuries, which is always good when the conditions are that bad with aquaplaning. And I think you, you saw it with both Peko and many riders on that lap when they red flag it, be like, yeah, yeah, this is this is too yeah. unsafe. So I think it was the right time. Maybe a lap earlier could have been, but I, 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 I don't. You, you can't really say because 
yeah. Yeah, it was. You know what though? For for an overall rating uh, point of view, I would have probably give this race. It's definitely up in the seven or eights. Like it, it was a good race. Like especially when it started to rain and you know really opened up. We obviously had Mark fight with Bezeki. Bezeki looked fantastic, and then it sort of just slightly dropped off. And I think he was obviously annoyed that it didn't restart because he wanted another bite at the cherry at fighting between Pecco and Martin. Um, whether he would have been able to or not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but we had we had some really good fights the whole way through the field. We obviously had Morbidelli, I think. And I, I, I don't really know. Like, for me, when you risk it on slicks, you've got to risk it. But when it gets to the point where you're seven or eight laps in and it's only got worse... I, I honestly, I love Morbidelli. I, I really do. I think he's a rider that's been given a lot of slack over the years for the the lack of results, and rightly so. But I honestly think his brain was, like, in another dimension. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't know whether it was internet connection problems or something that maybe caused his brain to just lag that far behind. I, I could tell that it was getting drastically worse and I just kept on seeing him with the white line flick as though to say, yep, he's gone past the finish line. And I'm like, at what point is he sitting there saying, this is drying up? Because, <laughs> like, round the back end of the circuit, I could maybe, maybe find a case for you. But going down the hill towards the last sector, Oh my lord! Like you could, you could genuinely sink the Titanic at the bottom of the, at the like the ninety degree corner at the end. And I just, I really don't know what happened there with Morbidelli. Honestly, I'd yeah, love I to do. give an explanation and back him up, but I, I really do not understand. Yeah, it's. I think obviously the whole of Yamaha gambled, but I think everyone else outside of Morbidelli, you know, chose not to risk it. After, yeah, like after, like Fabio went realized. one more lap and went. Yeah, yeah you know what. It didn't pay off. Like think... Miller and Rins did um, notoriously in, in Austria the year that Brad Binder won in the, in the the on slicks in the wet. They went a lap early. You know what? It didn't pay off, but it was only a lap early. It was due to be either side. Morbidelli went for another <laughs> eight laps. Like, yeah, he was, he was eight seconds slower than the rest by the, by the end of it. So I think, I think that, that only pays off in the sense that uh, because the race was still quite early, but there was so much rain. I don't think even if it had stopped raining, it wouldn't have been dry enough for slicks. Probably no. until like, like so. As I think, Maybe in like the, the end, he, yeah, he he wouldn't have gained from the slicks even if it stopped raining by maybe like as See, he said the, the last point. lap I'm not, and when you're I'm not crashing, saying like yeah. oh it's it's not raining enough for wets I'm saying it's absolutely nowhere near dry enough for slicks like nowhere near dry enough for slicks Morbidelli knows 10 million times more about bike racing than I do in terms of being on that bike hands down there's a reason I'm sat talking about him and he doesn't even know who I am but in the grand scheme of things that track was so wet through and absolutely bouncing down, I don't understand in any world of any motorsport ever why you would not change the wet tyres. Uh, honestly, I think I think maybe it was just he thought, you know, this is my last Japanese Grand Prix as a Yamaha rider. I, I, I want to do something like that. <laughs> let me, let me sink the ship. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I um, thought maybe, maybe he had some, some... He just saw Brad Binder in Austria and thought, you know... 
no context to it at all and just maybe I can yeah. win this and maybe. be a hero. Maybe. I mean, it, it does bear thinking about if, if Fabio did pit the same lap as everybody else, because he actually only finished 12 seconds behind everybody, and he lost a lot of time on that lap that he stayed out. He probably lost maybe, what, eight, nine seconds at least, you'd like to think? I mean, they they really did bring the gap down, didn't they, within a lap, apart from Pirro um, on everybody else. So it does bear thinking about if Fabio did actually go in the same lap. I'm not saying he would have won the race, but I think he would have been in the top five. Um, seen as they would, like I say, only finished 12 seconds behind the race winner. In terms of riders of the day, I'm not going to jump straight to it. I know we typically do riders of the day at the end, but I have a hat-trick of riders that I think deserve riders of the day, and I know one of these three has not been picked by Matt, meaning that one of them's got to miss out on. Matt has picked Jack Miller, who, as you said in the Discord, must be the first pick for Jack Miller in a long, 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 long time. Um... The hat-trick of riders I'm referring to is Augusto Fernandez P7, Fabio Di Antonio in P8, and Ralph Fernandez in P9 getting a back-to-back top 10. I think you've got to pick one of them three, really. I mean, you could pick Mark Marquez, of course. You could pick maybe Alicia Spargro, who's had a good rebound in result in P5. But that is a brilliant section of three riders, isn't it? P7, P8, P9 for Fernandez, Digi, and the other Fernandez. Yeah, which which one of them is the Fernandez in, in this case? I, yeah. Well, that that is yeah. I, I yeah. to be honest, my rider of the day, I think I think it's hard to not pick Augusto Fernandez in a track you've not rode a GP bike around before in those conditions. It's hard to not pick him. So I'm going to pick Augusto Fernandez for me. I, I think it's yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, I think. I'm not going to pick Raul Fernandez, but I think I'm going to give him a shout because this is the, I think, third race in a row. He's qualified in the, the Q, in the Q2 and he's been, you know, third race in a row. He's been inside the top 10, probably, maybe. Yeah, so I think yeah. he's he's slowly getting it together in, in terms of results. I don't think, I, I, I would still love to see like a proper flash from him in that sense, like, I don't know, top of practice session or, you know, like the Gentonio, get a pole position. Like get on the or like, top row, yeah, like the front row or something. Yeah, yeah. Get, get on the front row or like Augusta got the fourth place in Le Mans, you know. I think some something like that would would solidify it even more. But I think these kind of results are, you know, when you're not consistently the last bike of your manufacturer, in this case, that I was case up really, I think that's a, that's a good thing, you know. He's obviously mm. Oliveira has his troubles, but I think it's a good thing when you're in the mix with the other other really as you're you're around the same positions, you know. One, two. I think that's what's been Digi's problem, isn't it? In the last yeah. year or so, he's he's kind of consistently been. It's a little bit too late now, but he's consistently been the back Ducati, hasn't he? Yeah, that, I think that's that's his problem, not not the results in itself, because he has been scoring points and even getting top tens, mm. but. You know, and even even he got he got like a sprint a sprint point. So he's now there's only two riders who haven't scored points in a in a sprint race. So I think that's good for Digia, and maybe yeah. you know. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you on Ralph Fernandez. I think he is kind of destined to have that. I think it will happen. It's just a case of when. Um, again, a rider that's had a lot of bad luck, a lot of technical problems, a lot of bad injuries. That team has been completely overstruck by awful look and again you this is a very young team with 
Raul Fernandez is jumping and has jumped every year to a different bike, continues to adapt, and continues to show why he deserves that place in MotoGP. I genuinely think that at the beginning of the year, a few people calling him back markers, and I've mentioned this before, he is not a back marker. You give him the bike underneath him. I'm not saying he's going to go win world championships, but I genuinely think that Raul Fernandez, I, I wouldn't be, obviously because he's not done it before, I would be surprised if he was in the top five. But you know, if he got it again the week after, I wouldn't be sat here going, oh my God, this is this is the next Marquez. But I genuinely think he's he warrants a place in GP. I don't think he's there by fluke. I don't think he's there by look or anything you want to call it. I think he's there on merit. I think he deserves his GP ride. Yeah, I think after the season he had in Moda, Moda 2, I think that kind of talent deserves in your maybe season. a bit more. Yeah, yeah, in a rookie season. It's, it, it, that's that's the key, I think. Rookie season in Moda 2. I think that kind of talent deserves maybe a bit more leeway than when you look at someone like maybe DGR, and obviously Raul has the, has the added 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 on fact that he has switched bikes, as you said. But I have, yeah, yeah. Which actually brings me on to a small point that we've not mentioned in news, as far as I'm aware, is that Adrian Fernandez is um, the Leopard rider for next year, which we all found quite surprising because he didn't exactly lift the roof off, um, replacing in the Saxon ring. But who knows? He he might do he might do well. It's a good package, good team. I'm not disputing that Adrian Fernandez is not a talented rider, but it wasn't my first pick for <laughs> Leopard's uh, successor yeah, of Jean Messier. That's the main point. I think it's it's not the first pick in that no. sense. And I think after Raul got his ride in Moto GP, and I think part of the reason was uh, part of the reason reasonings in his deal was that his brother would get a seat in the Red yes. Bull family as well. So I think that's left a bit of a sour taste, maybe about mm. around him, around Adrian Fernandez, and I think they both have a bit of rumor of being tough to work with. In a sense, I don't know if whether that's Maybe. changed. Yeah, mm. I don't think RN, RNF have been talking good about you know Raul, but I think previously both of them have had a, had a bit of a reputation for for being hard to work with. I don't but, think it went down very well, did it? That yeah. he, he kind of went into Tech Three, and it was quite clear that he he pretty much signed with Yamaha, hadn't he, at the time, and then it was taken away by KTM. And I don't think that sat well with Raul. Yeah. And Raul was like, "Well, if you're gonna take me up, you've got to you you've got to bring Adrian up into Red Bull." And basically, then they both got the ride. And Raul then came out and said, "Areth, I'm not riding here next year. No chance." And he'd already kind of pre-agreed with Aprilia, and that kind of fumbled everything up to do with Adrian, unless he got really good results from a different team to come in and sign him, which he didn't. Because to be fair to him, debut season in Moto Three. It kind of then all fell apart in that sense. Um, I can't speak on how he is as a person in and around the garage or anything else like that. But on track, Ralph Fernandez for me, I I think he's got better results to come. I really do. Yeah, I think. I think. I think. You know, to to a certain extent, extent it doesn't matter how you are as a person. I think when you're winning, if you if you do well, you know that doesn't matter. You know. Many people stand I was gonna up. Say, to... maybe, maybe don't say that to to anybody and everybody because there's a fair few examples running through my head already that I'm like. Eh, to, I don't know. I'm saying to a certain extent. I'm I'm yeah. not saying it's it's <laughs> uh, yeah it's uh, I'm not apologizing any horrible behavior, but I, I I'm saying that I think there's a bit of a leeway given when a rider 
or a person, yeah, yeah. A, very, a very talented person yeah. in that sense. And I don't think, as far as I know, Ralph Fiennes has like murdered anyone. So I don't think that's. But but in general, I just say that there was there's been this kind of bad juju around them. But you know, good good start from both of them. I mean, both Fernandezes. You know, Adrian has a has a shot outside of the Red Bull family without any links with his brother. Yeah, and, he can kind of make his know. own career, can't he? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a good team, so I think he's he has a good good shout in that, and Raúl has made 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 good of good of in the sense of being with Aprilia. I think Aprilia believe in him, and I think this is a good good step for him. Yeah, another rider I just want to quickly touch on before we wrap up is Cal Crutchlow, who actually set brilliant pace to begin with when they all moved on to the wet tie. He was actually the quickest rider on track, um, and finished in P thirteen, um, only four seconds behind Fabio. And to be honest. For a rider that doesn't race every weekend and with those conditions, it's not setting the world alight, but I genuinely think it deserves a mention. I think it's a, a solid result, especially when, I get, again, I know we've spoken about Morbidelli, but when you've got Morbidelli down in P17, you know, he's kind of saved a little bit of honour in that regard um, for Yamaha. So, yeah, I think Cal deserves props for that. And, yeah, that's been it for us. Um Again, was a was a fairly decent race, I think, for GP. Obviously, a bit annoying that it, it was cut short in in regard of the flag, but for safety measures, it was one hundred percent the right choice. Um, in terms of race reviews, we'll be back in Indonesia next week, so the podcast will be out in a fortnight. We're going to have an episode, hopefully, go out in the meantime. And um, yeah, any any last points you want to bring up, Elisa, on the whole Japanese weekend as a whole? Anybody that we've not mentioned that you maybe think deserves a mention or maybe a prediction for Indonesia? Oh, I just wanted to say I forgot to say my ride of the day was Mark Marquez, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I we yeah. kind of we, we touched on it, but we didn't solidify it, did we? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm Mark just... Marquez, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean... Uh... But I mostly given because at 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 Park Ferme, you know, his explanation because I was looking at him you know, being like, Well, he's usually good around the wet and then I looked at the start of the race and I was like, He's he's dropping like a stone. Like what's happening? Has he lost lost the plot completely? But but then then when he explained it, he was like, Yeah, I was you know, being calm and realizing that I think it was pretty obvious that he was playing the long game. You know, yes. I, I don't know whether he would have won the race or been on the podium, but I think it's it was pretty clear that he had a he had a good race strategy on his head. And you know, for a rider this season who has spent a lot of time maybe not using his head or trying too much in too soon, I think that's a you know maybe the old dog can learn new tricks. I don't think old dog. <laughs> He's thirteen. <laughs> He's been tamed as the old dog. But no, I know what you mean. I mean, to kind of tail off the episode, it's been somewhat unofficially announced within Gigi Delinia's world of um, of rumours that Mark Marquez is going to move to Christina Ducati. Nothing is official. Nothing is set in stone. Um, but it's, it's basically leaning towards he's told Honda that, you know, this will be it. And now it's a case of contract loopholes. But nothing's official. That is basically what's in, in the pipeline. And honestly, yeah. I do agree with Cal Crutchlow that if Mark does get on a Ducati, then it is going to be frightening for everybody else. Um, Added but... on to that, I think the, the point of discussion was, I heard on the race podcast that they discussed how the Italian media had discussed that. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. This, is a, great, this <laughs> yeah. is a great point to finish on. Uh, it was interesting that the Italian media reported that Mark had been offered a two-year factory the factory Ducati contract, which would have meant one year in Pramac and the next year guaranteed 
in the factory team, which was, yeah. Now, anyone listening to that, oh my God, if you've not got the same grin on your face as I have, that would be, that would upset. In terms of the the, the phrase upset the apple cart, that, that would be like Oxford Dictionary definition of when they put example, Mark Marquez. One one year Primark, one year Factory Ducati. That would genuinely set the world alight, and the the politics and the the civil war happening in in Ducati would be phenomenal. Um, a lot of upset people, put it that way. Um, but it's not it's not going to happen like that because obviously Frankie and and Martine. But who's not to say that there's not a one plus one with Grassini? We don't know. Nothing's official yet. And even if that does end up being the case, officially we won't find out. But if we start to hear murmurs of that happening once he's at Grassini, hey, watch yeah, this think, space. Watch I think it's an, this space. It's just as I said. I think for Ducati to offer Mark a factory Ducati seat on a second year. You know, they're not straight up in a contract. I think, I mean, that's shooting themselves in the foot in the sense that, you know, Bezeki, Martin, and Bastianini are all going to be like, why? But Can I mean, you imagine? Can it... you imagine? Oh my God. Yeah. But I mean, it's just. How to, how as, to as piss you off. Said... How to piss off the three <laughs> next big things in Italian racing in Bastianini, Bezeki, and Marty. Oh, I, I'm Italian, sure Pecco wouldn't be happy either. Like, I think. Pecco oh yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> if if Marquez signs for Ducati and it's not a one, if Marquez full stop signs for Ducati full stop, Pecco will not be happy. He won't be. Why would you be happy? You you've got the biggest name in the sport now going into your factory at a lower level, and the possibility of him beating you comes into the question. You're not going to be happy about that. You're not going to be happy one bit. Yeah. I think I think people have an interesting angle was that people pointed out that you know well, you know maybe maybe some riders want to see Mark at the Ducati because they want to beat him on the same machine and show that you know well I'm I'm the king of the jungle in so to yeah, speak. Yeah, there'll be, but there'll be a think... part of that, but there'll be a big uh, part of it thinking I don't want him to be anywhere near Ducati. Yeah, and I think and I think the politicking in itself, you know, with Mark being linked with the factory, right? I think that's the thing, you know, because Ducati have talked all year, you know, we don't need Marquez, we don't need him. And, and to come out that they were ready to give him a factory contract, I think that's just, it's it just, I mean... It, I mean, that is unofficial. I, that is unofficial, yeah, but yeah. It, it, it's something that, honestly, I wouldn't put past them in... Yeah. In, I mean, I, I wouldn't in. either. Like, like, I think you can, uh, you know, you, you can say that well, our bike is good enough, but... You know, it's still gonna be good with the Marquez on it. Oof. Next year, oh god, I don't even want to think about if, it to be honest with you, but if, I also do. Yeah, if if the Marquez to Ducati thing doesn't happen, I'm, well, I'm gonna cry for a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah. obviously, I keep saying the the big question is is if if he doesn't. Um, actually, this brings up another room. I don't want to go too far down the silly season road, but it is worth mentioning that it was reported last week that Honda have basically lined up Maverick Vinales as their number one target, that if Marquez was to leave Honda, that they would approach Maverick Vinales under the same umbrella 
as bringing um, Rayola with them. So apparently that is something that Honda have briefly touched on and spoken about internally. It's all rumours. It's It could be complete and utter waffle. But at the same time, they have to fill it with somebody and that somebody can't be anybody. You know, they've, it's Repsol Honda. Um, so... Who knows? Who knows? You we know, can sit and talk about rumors forever, I suppose, can't we? If I if I was Repsol Honda, I would be throwing like I would be throwing all my money to Petra Costa, who's been talking about maybe yeah, I'm not hooking up with KTM. I you would. know, I, I think uh, I no agree. no offense to someone like Maverick Vinales, but you know, who's the best to replace Mark Marquez? You know, the guy who's being called called the next Mark Marquez. I would as well. And, uh, you know, if I was... Pest- I mean, I'd love to be Pedro Acosta's manager, bloody hell, if I was taking a percentage of what he's getting. But, you know, if you're Pedro Acosta's manager, that is that is gold. Because what that does then is it forces KTM to have to put him at factory. Because if they don't, and it's Repsol Honda factory money, and factory Honda going, you're the future. Granted, it's not, it's not competitive at the minute. The bike's nowhere, and it's the worst bike on the grid. Yeah, I get that. But... It's a big difference between that and Tech 3 Gas Gas. It's a huge difference, and not many people turn that down. Um, so, you know, it's it's very interesting. It's almost like waiting for the first bomb to go off, isn't it? And then it's just going to be like boom, 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 boom down the grid. Um, so we'll see. Like I say, we, we typically put these episodes out, and then something gets announced and hinted at, and, you know, the other so we can talk rumors and we can briefly mention bits and bobs but that's where we're at at the minute um as i normally always say tailing off these episodes if you have enjoyed it please be free to leave us a review and give us a follow on whatever audio platform you are listening to us on we should be on any audio platform that you do have access to if we're not let us know when we'll get it whacked on there you should be able to follow us on instagram and twitter at red sector gp and on those pages are our link trees, which is giving you links to all of our personal profiles, our Discord, everything that you need is on there. So be sure to give that a try and follow us everywhere you can. Um, as I said before, we are doing our sprint watch-alongs, which will be on either my personal Instagram, at BonoGP, or whether it be on the Red Sector GP account, whichever one you like, it will be on there. But be sure to give it a follow and keep in touch with us on there. That's been me. That's been Elisa, and with that, keep the throttle pinned.